Hello and welcome into the Kelly Tsikus Up in the Rafters podcast, your home for college basketball from Kelly to Syracuse. I'm your host, Anthony Scott. Joined alongside with me, as always, is Andrew Poppy Carey and Lucas Silverman. Go to Poppy first because Duke has a losing record. This is the first time Kelly Tsikus has been around when Duke basketball has a losing record. Poppy, I know you got to be happy about that. Yeah, it's exciting times, obviously. The Blue Devils under 500 for the first time in quite some time. Uh, yeah, I mean, they just suck. There's nothing else you can say. When you suck, you suck. <laughs> when you suck, you suck. And it's so great that uh, a team that never sucks is finally sucking. And it just it sucks that COVID is around just because, you know, we can't boo them, I guess, like going to the games. I wonder, obviously, they'd still pack the stands, but it would be interesting to see if there was fans around what a Duke game would look like. Lucas? How are we doing down in New York City, making some moves on the job front hopefully soon? Definitely working on some things. It's freezing here. <laughs> so cold. Uh, I can't believe how cold it is. But, no, we're, we're living. Um, got some fun stuff coming up. NBA season in full swing, college basketball in full swing. Keeping myself busy on that front. Got the Warriors tonight. You know, big things coming up. As I say, you mentioned the weather. You're the one that wanted to move from the great state of California over to New York City. Are you questioning the move now, now that we're in the front of winter? You know, that's a good question. Uh, no, I don't regret that. Because uh, <laughs> uh, New York City, it's, it's back more than California is right now on the, on the safety protocol front. This Friday, <clears throat> tomorrow, when this comes out, 25% indoor. You know, it's a step in the right direction. It's not, it's not, it's progress, not perfection. So, you know, just keep, just keep being safe and, you know, wearing your mask and all that great stuff. I forgot to mention to the people today is Thursday, February 11th, new podcast drops every Friday. So February 12th in the morning, you can get this on Spotify, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, we will be there. And if you haven't heard, we've also moved over to the Challenge Sports. Uh, they're a new sports media website, brand, have merchandise, articles all on their website. Check them out at thechallenge-sports.com. You can find all our episodes there as well. But before we move into college basketball, this is our first episode since the Super Bowl. Uh, how was your Super Bowl experience, guys? I mean, it was a blowout game, but uh, it was surprising to me, at least, the end result. I was really surprised by it. I picked Tampa to win. and. I wasn't expecting a 22-point margin of victory. Uh, <laughs> no, but, one of your prop bets was under 16, right? You're, you're... Yeah, it was, that was a wrap. But, you know, it was sort of obvious. Like, no one really talked about how bad that old line was depleted. It was in Tampa. Like, I just felt like there were so many factors that actually went into how dominant the talent level is past Tyreek, Travis, Kelsey, and Pat Mahomes. Like, there's nothing else really going on there. And the defense on Tampa was very – uh, overrated at times, but then they became underrated in a way. Yeah, the the Tampa defense was able to put it together as the season went along, I felt, and really, you know, kind of strengthened uh, that team overall as a whole. I spent the better part of the first half uh, finishing up a Chicago Blackhawks-Dallas Stars highlight, so that was, that was fun. Um, it was quality OT game, but yeah, I mean, the Super Bowl, either way, no matter who you bet on, I feel like um, you were going to be upset with who won if you lost your bet you're gonna say wow that was so obvious why would I not bet on the other guy no matter what I mean because on one hand you're betting on you know it's quarterback versus quarterback really you're betting on Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes two of the greatest to ever do it so you're gonna be upset with yourself if you lose one way or the other I know I certainly lost so I'm <laughs> upset how did I not bet on Tom Brady but at the same time I can't be too mad yeah, Patrick Mahomes, I kind of fell victim to him just being a god on the football field, which he kind of was still, even though they put up nine points. He did he, what he could, I thought. <laughs> like, yeah, he's running yeah. around with his head cut off trying to avoid Shaq Barrett and JPP. And, yeah, he just realized how big the O-line. Once again, it comes down. Football is one of the trenches. You see it in these big games, you know, the trenches always matter. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes can only do so much. And it was a wrap. Tom Brady, though. The man loves to drink. We finally got to see him, what he would look like on a Kendall, on a Kendall day. They just pushed all the right buttons, too, like bringing in Tom Brady, drafting an O-lineman in the draft, bringing up Gronk, A.B. They just had Leonard Fournette. They just pushed all the right buttons that, you know, they kind of made a roadmap for other teams. Like you're seeing the Rams trading Jared Goff for Matt Stafford now. So you just have teams swinging for, you know, just a different change of pace or different style to see if that works. And any thoughts on the parade? Uh, Tom Brady 
Poppy. Uh, I, I've seen him, you know, that was an interesting side of Tom Brady. I love to see it. I wish we got to see it more often. But him throwing the Lombardi trophy, <laughs> I would have never expected that in my life. And it was great to see. Well, I mean, when it's number seven, who cares? You can just let it sink to the bottom, right? I mean, you know, that was awesome to see. He said that he uh, he didn't drink at all during the regular season. So that was his first time drinking in forever. So it's a little bit of a lightweight, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, he was pounding a few, a few down too quickly, I guess. But when I look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in general, you know, some of these guys didn't even play. But when it all, you know, when all their careers are over and it's all said and done, they might have the greatest Super Bowl roster of all time in terms of like Hall of Famers. You know, you look at a guy like Shady McCoy, who was really their fourth running back this year, uh, which is just crazy to think about. Uh, and Dominican Sue, obviously a wash Gronk kind of, but I mean, you know, you got TDs, yeah, yeah, two TDs in the in the Super Bowl, and <laughs> it's just crazy how much talent they had on their roster the legendary aspect of that roster. Like, yeah, like we're going to be looking back on this team 10 years from now being like Shady McCoy was on this roster. Like, yeah, he didn't play, but like just the fact that these names are on the same roster, Mm -hmm. they had to get it done. You know, a convoluted Madden curse victory. AB was a a cover athlete back in, I think Madden 20 or Madden 19. And, you know, a little bit of a crazy journey to his first Super Bowl, but I think he definitely got there. <laughs> he definitely got there, indeed. Uh, great game, great just legacy definers, I guess, for, for both players. I mean, obviously Patrick Mahomes is going to have a chance to come back, but just to make it there twice is impressive. But the NFL season, uh, we got, what, eight months till that rolls back around, got some time. So what's in full gear right now? Some college basketball, some Syracuse basketball. Uh, one and one last week, Lucas. Could have been better. I mean, are we really surprised that this happened? I mean, Clemson is a hot and cold team. You know, they they showed up and they dominated. I mean, what a what a clash of jerseys! Like Pop mentioned in our last podcast, you know, two orange schools going at it. Uh, wasn't really surprised by that margin of victory, but they handled their business at NC State. Uh, you know, beating them by nine, going one and one is always great. You always want to sweep, but that's just not how it goes sometimes. So, Pop. Where do you where do you start currently see this as? Is Clemson's victory going to be the downfall of Cuse, or is it just you know keep trying to perform to the best of their ability? Uh, yeah, the Clemson loss is definitely going to hurt down the line, just because I think when it comes down to it, Syracuse and Clemson are probably competing against each other for a tournament spot, or mm-hmm. certainly that could be the case down the road. Uh, you know, it just comes down to the fact that. A lot of times on the road, they just have looked unprepared. You know, this is dating back six, seven years now, really since the Tyler Ennis team. Um, You know, they go down to Clemson. They do this all the time against Clemson. I mentioned it on the last podcast. Syracuse has had way more talented teams than them in the past. I would say this one is relatively even talent. I I would – I mean, I know I'm biased, but I'd personally say Syracuse has a little more talent than Clemson, I would think, still. Uh, but all that being said, you know, Brad Brownell has his team ready to play, and Syracuse just looks like they're still on the jet flying down there. They have no – you know, I mean, you made, they made three field goals in the first half. They went three of 25 and a half shooting the ball. I mean, there's not much else that can be said. You're not going to win games doing that. Like, get off the plane, get ready to go, and suit up. Jesus. Yeah, Clemson was an embarrassment. I saw on Twitter a lot of people saying they turned off the game early, um, including myself. It was pretty ugly to watch. Uh, I kind of expected it. Barama Sidibe let me down. I hyped him up so much just to, just to let me down once again. <laughs> Four fouls and 11 minutes of play, but it, the matter of the fact, I think Jim, Jim Behai might be right on this one. Uh, he's just not ready to play. He says the knee's still swollen, obviously trying to rush it back, but I just don't get why they said four weeks in the beginning if it's actually going to be maybe the whole season. Um, that just got fans' hopes up, maybe just my hopes up, but um, at least it was good to see him at least try it. But, yeah, he didn't play in the NC State game. Syracuse was able to get it done. Alan Griffin keeps coming up big. Uh, the NC State game was a must win after losing the Clemson game. It's at least good that we can win on the road against somebody besides Boston College. I mean, we got to start winning road games. That's where all of our quad one wins are left, the chances of getting them at least. Uh, so that was a positive sign. But, yeah, Clemson was an embarrassment. Is it a case where they're just a really bad uh, road team and an amazing home team? Can you just chalk that they're pretty much going to sweep their home games and going to lose every away game and just bank on that? I I think the team is getting better. I do. I think because Kadari is slowly getting more minutes. Uh, Merrick Dolja at the five is always going to be a problem. It's always going to come down to the three-point shooting at the end of the day, if I'm going to be honest with you. And 
Besides that, I just think Kadari gives us a better chance to win. So maybe we will squeak a win against Georgia Tech or Duke on the road. We'll start winning some of these close road games. Maybe that's the difference. And that would be the difference probably in us getting in the tournament. So I think we are improving. Um, but obviously being at home, it's a lot easier. I think they're just the epitome of average, really, when it comes down to it. I mean, they just show up some games and then they don't. If the threes are falling like they did against NC State at a, a relatively efficient rate, then they're going to look a lot better than they do when they're not falling. So, I don't know. They're just so hot and cold, up and down. Every week it's the, a one-in-one split, which ultimately won't get it done. So, you know, you got to try and win two games in these weeks here coming up. Bunch of road games coming up. Opportunities for quad one wins, uh, which are a lot easier to get on the road as, you know, the net rating allows for uh, 75 or higher to be – or 75 or lower, excuse me, to be considered a quad one win. So, they got a couple of these opportunities coming up. Got to capitalize on it. Alan Griffin, I mentioned him last week. I really think he's taking over kind of as the the key guy on this team. You know, Quincy Garrier was very good in the beginning of the year, but he's a little undersized down there, and I think we're starting to figure that out, especially against a guy like Manny Bates uh, on NC State who blocks shots like he's Matumbo. So, you know, it's, it's just uh, got to win. Got to win, bottom line. Well, including that personnel choice, I mean, Ace got mentioned it earlier. You know, for the first time since that Buffalo game, Kadari Richmond saw more minutes than Joe Girard in the Clemson and NC State game. I think it was Clemson, I see in here, 25 minutes for Girard, 28 minutes for Richmond, and then at NC State, 20 for Girard, 25 for Richmond. I mean, I sometimes feel like Beheim keeps the roster so tight-knit and just that seven or eight guys playing so many minutes just to get them in shape and then also – start feeling and dispersing it out as he sees what's on the floor, seeing what works out, throwing out different lineups out there. I think we might see more of this. A. Scott, he's finally listened to you. He, you must, he must have been listening to the podcast finally. Must have been tuned in. Um, yeah, Kadari Richmond finally got some more minutes than Gerard. First time since the UB game that that happened. But I just need him to see him start. You know, just see Kadari start, see what it looks like. Because in the beginning of these games, sometimes we're already behind. You know, we're already playing from behind because of the decision in the first five minutes. Um, the whole first half was pretty back and forth. Hughes kind of took over in the second against NC State. So Kadari starting the game, I think, would just set the tone early. I think it's a real difference maker, especially on the defensive end. We've seen it time and time again. He averages so much, he averages the same amount of steals, if not more than Gerard. And they play, and he plays less minutes than Gerard. So he needs to be out there more just for defense, and he offers so much on the offense. Buddy Beheim getting 35 in both of those games. Hughes three was nice in the NC State game. That's when I want to see him getting 35. If it's not, try Gerard at the two. I want to see more Gerard at the two. Um, just give out minutes more evenly. But I like what I saw. Step in the right direction. Oh, yeah, I have a question for you, though. I have a question. Where does Kadari Richmond rank for you as all-time sixth men for Qs? Because I think Behan does a really good job of bringing some of his better players off the bench. He did it with Dion Waiters. Um, he did it. I think wasn't um, Gillian. MCW took a year to MCW, get MCW Gillian. Wasn't Gillian off the bench sometimes too a little bit? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just feel like sometimes he likes those X factor players. So Kadari Richmond, could he be one of those players for Q's? I mean, I think to an extent he is. MCW really didn't play much in his first year and then started his second year. The gold standard is Dion Waiters and Chris <laughs> Joseph for six men. I mean, Dion Waiters and Chris Joseph came off the bench. Uh, or excuse me, so Dion Waiters got sixth men of the year in the Big East in 2012. 2010, Scoop Jardine and Chris Joseph came off the bench. One got sixth man of the year nationally. The other got sixth man of the year in the conference, which is unheard of, you know. Um, so that being said, obviously those three examples are a little, uh, you know, better than Kadari Richmond. But Kadari Richmond also might not be getting the same amount of minutes that they were getting during those seasons, um, which is so key. You know, there's stats out there and – Last week, we didn't really get to touch on it on the podcast because there was an article that came out on accsports.com after our podcast. But essentially, Syracuse is a tick above average with Joe Girard on the court. They're outscoring their opponents by about 20 points on the season with Girard on the court. While in Kadari Richmond's limited minutes, which is around 400 minutes on the season, uh, the team is like a plus 75. Uh, so clearly there's just, you know, there's a ton of stats to back it up. Kadari Richmond is doing things that are unheard of per 40 minutes defensively, 3.8 steals per game and 2.5 blocks per game defensively per 40 as a guard is just, I mean, that kind of stuff changes the game and allows you to get out and transition. You need to play it. 
He's a spark plug. Why don't you start the game on fire and put him in there, Jim? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean all make valid points. Those are all valid points. I'm just wondering. I mean, Kadari Richmond, maybe he's maybe it's the the pressure would be too much on him as a starter, and maybe he just comes in here and wreaks havoc. I think uh, I mean, Zayheim six man is also partially intentional because there's no reason Deion Waiters especially should have been coming off the bench. Yeah. I mean, the man was a number four pick. He's trying to keep him around as long as he can at Syracuse, I think. I don't even know if it's necessarily that. I just uh, – I mean, those situations, those teams are so talented too. You, I mean, you're starting Brandon Trish and Scoop Jardine over them, there. two veterans who had been there for a long time. So it just kind of worked that way. But now especially, I don't even need Kadari to start. I'd just rather see like a 30-10 split. Like if you want to start Gerard and pull him right away, no, go for it. That's yeah. just pointless. That's just pointless. Yeah. Get him a couple of shots. But, you know, hopefully we continue to see that down the road. I mean, now they got this week, Saturday, they have a home game against BC. And then Wednesday uh, at Louisville. So, I mean, what are your expectations for these? I mean, it's, it's another – and we say this all the time, A. Scott, is that do they have to go 2-0 and here? And like, when are they going to start going 2-0? and Yeah, they don't need to go 2-0 and this week, but it has to happen uh, one of these weeks. So looking at their schedule ahead, their quad one wins are going to come on the road. Their hardest one, their most difficult road game is this Louisville game. So, no, I'm not expecting them to win that. Duke and Georgia Tech, circle those two games. Honestly, we made fun of Duke at the beginning of this show, but we need to be cheering on Duke as Syracuse fans because right now they're 75th in the net ranking. And for them to be a quad one win, they have to stay inside that top 75, and we have to play them on the road, which we're set up to do. That so, is true. Um, I guess we're a little bit of Duke fans, but, yeah, Louisville, if we win, amazing. I just wish, looking back at the schedule, we got one of those wins against Pitt. I think that would have boosted our resume a lot, and now we're going to be scrambling for this quad one win. Not that Pitt would have been a quad one win on the road they would have been, but just beating them once would have been big. Would have been nice to hold on to an 18-point first-half lead against the team. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that one. That's just uh, one that always come back to bite you. Yeah. <laughs> it's not how you draw it up, necessarily. It's going to come back to bite them. And I think this week is the week that you got to consider going 2-0, and mainly because they're playing BC, and that should be a free win. Yeah. So you really should look at it as – you know, it's it's really just a one a one game a week thing. You need to focus everything on Louisville. I personally think Georgia Tech is the best team left on Syracuse's uh, schedule. Last year, the Orange blew them out in Atlanta, and I know Georgia Tech's going to be looking for revenge. They always struggle down there. Another team they struggle against. So, you know, I think Louisville is a great opportunity this week for Syracuse midweek game. Maybe catch them napping a little bit, but you got to come prepared. Yeah, Louisville, they've slipped up a little bit. So, maybe, yeah, we can catch them on, on a sleeper night because they've dropped some games that they should not have lost. So, mm-hmm. Syracuse needs to squeak one out somewhere. Well, we can guarantee one thing. They're not a top 25 team. Uh, you know, I just had to throw that in there. But we're going to start moving <laughs> to the top, top 25 update. You know, first thing off the bat, a new top five team in the top five. You know, we have the Gonzagas, Baylors, Michigans of the world, a team that, you know, Pop is – also mentioned, hasn't played in months, uh, coming on months. Uh, but now we see a new team, their biggest rival, the Ohio State Buckeyes now in the mix, followed by Villanova, who did slip a little bit because of last week's loss. Jumping into the – right behind them are two teams in Illinois and Texas Tech. So how are we looking right now? How are we feeling? That's a, there's three Big Ten teams in the top six right now, or top seven right now. Um, a. Scott, you know, are these the top six, seven teams in the country? Uh, to be honest with you, I doubted Ohio State all along. We'll get into them a little bit later, but they may be here to stay. Um, Texas Tech, they've been slipping a little bit. They lost to West Virginia this week. So when the new rankings come out, they'll drop out of that top seven, probably top ten area. Missouri, they're up there. They're number ten now after they beat Alabama. Uh, the top ten looks pretty good. There's going to be a shuffle towards the back end, but Gonzaga-Baylor, they're going to hold strong and then just inter- wait and see with Michigan because they've been had, they haven't played in a while. Yeah, in terms of, you know, the top uh, the top five teams in the country with Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Ohio State, Nova, I think for the most part they got it right. I still am not an Ohio State believer, I got to be honest. Like, they're, you know, I'm not really sure how they're beating these teams. I'm just not. You That's what I mean. <laughs> you, I mean, if you watch them, like, they're a, a very gritty, like, hard-nosed, kind of grind-the-game-out kind of team, which can be effective, but – you know, that's why I almost am not sure how good the Big Ten is because teams like that, they can have good years. But when it comes down to it, you got to, you know, you got to be a good team. You got to make shots. You got to run a good offense. And I just don't know if Ohio State can do that when it comes down to it in the NCAA tournament. 
I know, you know, from some people that I follow on Twitter, I've been seeing some advanced stats that they're getting very lucky defending the three-pointer. Like, teams just aren't making threes while Ohio State is doing a bad job defending it. They're giving up open looks and teams are just missing. Eventually, stuff like that's going to catch up to you. But, you know, they just play a very tough physical kind of game. And it's impressive that they're in the top five because I don't think any of us going into this season uh, pegged them as a team that would be there. I mean, can't agree anymore. We talk about maybe eight or nine teams all the time in Ohio State and all these other teams have been in there a whole time. I mean, the next topic, I mean, the two teams that dropped the most since the last week's rankings are Texas and Iowa. We just talked about how they're perennial top five teams in the country. Like, are they the right, are they the top five teams? And now they have the biggest drop into the team. So, I mean, out of those two schools, which one do you see bouncing back after a very rough stretch? I mean, we're going to talk a bit about it a little bit now, or we can just get into it, Pop. I mean, Iowa and Texas, like two formidable teams that we thought were going to be there are now going to be out of the top 25 with a couple more losses here. Yeah, we really like both those teams, uh, especially that Texas team. I think we were all pretty high on them. Yeah. They've been dealing with some really uh, poor ball handling from their guards. I know over a three-game stretch uh, from their loss against – Oklahoma State and then the two games prior they had committed 50 turnovers in those three games that's not going to win you games bottom line and now when it comes to Iowa I know we're we might touch on this down the road but Iowa is really struggling to defend the basketball uh they just play terrible defense and it's going to be interesting to see which one of those two teams uh you know make it further come March because I think they are similar in the fact that you know they're both teams that on paper are very talented, but they just can't seem to put it together and stay at that elite level at least. Yeah, no thoughts. We'll get into both of these teams in a minute. Uh, I'm excited for the conversation that we're about to have. <laughs> All right, hold your feelings in a Scott. Don't let it boil over too much. But uh, a couple other notes on the top 25. UCLA, Florida, Kansas, and Drake. Shout out Drake. Finally lost. Uh, dropped out of the top 25. Um, you know, Drake losing the Valpo, you'd hate to see it. Uh, also, I think I saw in the news that Valpo is, like, taking away all – they're completely rebranding. Um, I hope you brought this up. Yeah, they're dropping the Crusader name. Yeah, so they're dropping oh, wow. the, the name, the colors, the, the a whole thing. So that, that'll be interesting to see how they, you know, work that out. But two, uh, a few teams that now enter the top 25, two teams in particular that we've been seeing that have just been bouncing back and forth. You got uh, Oklahoma State and Rutgers. But two teams that, you know – there was a Cinderella in one of these, but, you know, USC now moving up to the top 20, into the top 20, as well as Loyola Chicago. So, you know, we got to touch on a lot of different things, but, you know, seeing those four teams, are you, are you surprised? They've been cooking recently. Yeah, Loyola Chicago is interesting. They're definitely, you know, obviously a mid-major. Uh, they play in the uh, Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, there are some decent teams in that conference. Wichita State used to be the class of this conference, and then they moved out. But this is the same conference that has Drake in it. And Loyola Chicago and Drake, they're both around the number one seed for the, the conference. They both have one loss, and they're playing this week coming up. Um, they play on Saturday and Sunday, the back-to-back in Drake Stadium. So that's a big one. That one will kind of tell me, you know, who's actually the class of this conference. They'll probably split as all these back-to-back games usually go. But Valparaiso is usually a good team in this conference. Evansville, every now and then, Indiana State's decent. So I think the winner, Loyola Chicago or Drake, whoever comes out of this conference, might be able to make a run. Pop, you love seeing Sluckers in there again? I mean, they just always come back to haunt us, right? It's an exciting time when Rutgers is in the rankings. Uh, Who would have thought Rutgers basketball would ever rise to these kind of heights? We were all in on them in the beginning of the year, but they've definitely kind of come back down to earth, unfortunately. Moving on, teams that – we usually see there aren't there, such as the Dukes, the Kansases that just dropped out, Michigan State, UNC, and Kentucky. And, uh, A. Scott, are these guys any threats going moving forward, or should the NBA, NCAA be worried about them missing the tournament, actually? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, Kentucky, Michigan State, they're definitely on the bubble. Kentucky's not getting in. Michigan State, Duke, they're on the bubble. Kansas. You don't have to rub it in. I already know that Kentucky's <laughs> not making the tournament, unless they win the SEC tournament. Right. Don't sleep on don't sleep on Calipari and what he's got up his sleeve. But um, Kansas, they're definitely in. UNC, they're in. But they're not really threats. You know, these teams aren't going to be getting the top five seeds. No one's going to really be pushing for them to make the final four. At least I won't be. Um, and that's usually with the NCAA tournament. You know, a lot of fans like to see 
the Cinderella's, but most of college basketball fans are Duke fans, UNC fans, Kentucky fans. So with those teams not in it, maybe viewership will be down. I know the NBA is struggling with viewership. And just from talking to my friends who usually are into college basketball, at least a little bit, seems like there's very little interest in the sport this year. And I think without these blue blood teams, I think not having one of them is fine. But when you have all five of the blue bloods really having down years, um, it, it's going to be interesting how the NCAA tournament shakes out. I think it's going to make it more exciting for me, the, the fan that really loves college basketball. For the casual fan that doesn't know anything about these other teams that are in it, it'll be interesting. Yes, it will be interesting to see how that shakes out. I mean, just losing Duke alone really is just such a huge blow to the tournament, obviously. So uh, hopefully the committee realizes that they're not good enough to put them in and don't subject America's general public to watching a terrible basketball team like Duke is this year. But all this being said, I think there is a little cause for concern there. Uh, the one saving grace maybe could be that the games are being played on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Monday. That extra day of, you know, kind of a weekend uh, for viewership could help. But I'm kind of, you know, reaching here uh, to try and see the positive light for the NCAA. I think they could be in some trouble. Live sports in general, people just haven't been watching during the pandemic, which has been kind of interesting to see. You would think that's the exact opposite, but even the NFL has been struggling with their ratings. I'm going to put out a total guess, total theory. I think it's because streaming. I'm going to go with just the fact that you could stream and binge watch an entire show now instead of watching it once. And now you have nothing to watch until the next episode comes out. So now you can just binge a show. You might as well do that instead of watch sports. I think a lot of people would prefer to do that now. It's just a theory. That's an interesting theory. I mean, moving it back to like the Blue Bloods, I mean, there is still some opportunity for the ones that are going to make the tournament to make some noise. I mean, Mm talent usually does do well in the tournament and experience and who has been there more than like the bill selfs of the world the the roy um i'm forgetting his last name roy williams Williams. whatever roy williams um (laughs) and so like i i'm not too nervous about how these teams are going to perform and maybe the fact that every game is staggered in a way that you just watch one game at a time instead of you get like two games on top of each other then you get four and then you're like all over the place in the tournament you have to see each game individually, so hopefully that'll draw some more interest if you just drag it out uh, on top of it a little bit. I think it could be interesting, and for our audience, like we're going to be locked in. We don't want we're we're going to be busy for those four days just watching <laughs> the NCAA tournament. Like, who's kidding ourselves that we're not going to be tuned to our TVs the whole time? Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm not too worried about it, and hopefully make some money on it. Exactly. Um, One team that you may want to steer away from, though, we've been pumping them all year long, but finally they seem like they have hit a wall and are starting to crumble. In the Big Ten, a conference that we talked up at the beginning, and now we're kind of having our doubts about the Big Ten, but Iowa, they started out 12-2. and We're ranked in the top five for a few weeks, and now they've lost four of their last six games. Are they really still a threat to make a deep run? Luka Garza, he's still the favorite to win the Player of the Year award, so is Iowa – Still a favorite to make the Final Four, Lucas. I still think you got to consider them. I mean, we were talking about rankings and efficiencies and how teams are playing, and Iowa does have have one of the best offenses in the country, led by Luca Garza. We complain that he's only averaging twenty one and eight. <laughs> like that's yeah. it. It still very good college numbers to get the job done. Over I think. his last six games, yeah, twenty one and eight. So like, and people are like, "Oh my God, he's having a decline." It's like, no, that's still very, very good. Um, and I just think there's leadership, there's veteran play, and I think they're getting battle-tested in this Big Ten. I mean, they're just beating the crap out of each other. So I think when they start uh, playing in the tournament and they can get hot and they have, a, they have a guy who can take over, and, you know, you need a guy who can take over, and Luca Garza is that guy. So Lucas still believing in the Hawkeyes in the Big Ten. Poppy, are, are you seeing through this Hawkeye squad? Yeah, so this Iowa team, I really was high on them in the beginning of the season. Suddenly their defense has been struggling a lot in Big Ten play. Uh, C.J. Frederick, one of their guards, has missed some time recently, which has contributed to them uh, losing some of these games, obviously. He's a quality shooter and a piece that they'll miss. But I just really think they have a lot of problems defensively, man. Uh, 222nd in defensive efficiency in the country. You know, that's really concerning, obviously. Uh, Luca Garza, while he does block shots, he's not exactly like the rim protector that strikes fear into the opponent's hearts, I guess I should say. I mean, that being said, he does average close to two blocks a game, but I just don't think that 
laterally, they have the quickness to stay in front of a lot of guards. And therefore, when they're getting to the rim, uh, Garza, I mean, he can't get in foul trouble. They need him. So he's forced to back off a little bit from trying to defend their shots. And that's what's hurting them. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. And, you know, everybody's asking, why isn't Luca Garza going to go top 10 if he's so good in college? And it's because of his defense, a big part of it, and just his quickness, which obviously is a big part of defense, is beating your guy to the spot. Luca Garza's big physical he's going to be solid down low but against a big that's agile quick can play those back to the basket hit you with a nice spin move um the talented bigs I think they're going to have his way with Luca Garza and just the overall team as good as they are in offense defense wins championships yeah Iowa offense can probably get you to the sweet 16 maybe even the final four if you just shoot lights out from the gym but if you play a good defensive team um you're you're gonna you're gonna lose because the defense will shut you down and you can't stop them at all so it's either going to go one of two ways for Iowa. They're either going to lose in the first round or make a run. Like, that's – it's really – it's the hot or cold. Like, if they can get through the first game and not get scared into a first-round loss, I think they can run the table. Yeah, because everybody on that team can shoot threes. Like, realistically, they're one of the few teams that could put up 100 on any given night, which is scary. Right. From a team struggling in the Big Ten to a team that is red-hot, raging right now, the Ohio State Buckeyes – Looking like their football team out there, ranked fourth in the country, and they've been extremely hot since our last pod. They beat Iowa on the road, 89-85. to Then they followed it up with another road win against Maryland. And that's, that makes five in a row for Ohio State, eight of their last nine. This team, we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, they weren't expected to be up here in the top five. But you got to kind of put them on the map now, Poppy, right? Definitely got to put them on the map. I mean – you know, they, they're a team that we're not too high on on this podcast, but as I watch them more and more, they just find ways to win, kind of grind games out, and it's impressive to watch. Uh, big shout-out to a guy, Kyle Young, on their team, who's been there for four years, a senior. And I've just never seen somebody play with the amount of intensity and physicality that he plays with. They said that he has yet to practice once this year, in an entire practice, because he's dealing with so many injuries but he has also yet to miss a single game uh, this season. He's played in every game, but hasn't made a single practice. And he's just a guy who shoots the ball extremely efficient, efficiently at 58%, rebounds, knows his role, nine points a game, six boards. And they just, you know, everybody on the team, that's just kind of the mark of the team is know your role, contribute what you can contribute. And for Chris Holtman, it's working. Are you saying that we haven't seen the best yet from Kyle Young? I'm not necessarily saying that we haven't seen the best yet because I don't think his ceiling is any is higher than what he's doing right now. I'm just saying that he's doing it on like one leg probably. <laughs> and to give this much effort and energy is impressive. Yeah. Are you seeing Ohio State as a real threat, uh, Lucas, or Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois? Is there another team that you got to try on? So I've never pulled this card because I'm not usually one to do this, but Ohio State does have some sort of tie to Cali DeCuse. Justice suing is a cow bear who transferred and had to sit out all of last year. And now he's back. He's a lefty, and he's actually one of their best players. He plays about 26 minutes a game, averaging like 11-5, and I think an assist a game, or 11-5-2. and two. Uh, And he's a productive player for Ohio State. And, you know, I didn't really give him the credit that he deserved. I was more just salty that he left the Bears to be a uh, very mediocre Pac-12 team. But, I, I mean, he left for a reason. And uh, cow, cow transfers have actually typically done well. Uh, when they leave, <laughs> leave Berkeley, weirdly. Uh, so, you know, glad to see him doing well. And I think that they, them and Michigan have to be up there. And then uh, Iowa, just because they have the best player in the country. Yeah, uh, you guys mentioned some great players on Ohio State, but didn't touch on their two leading scorers. Dwayne Washington Jr., a junior point guard, and EJ Liddell, a forward down low. Liddell is only in his sophomore year, and he did this again in his freshman year, averaging 15 points a game seven rebounds, a guy that can go up, get the boards, play down low. little undersized, though, um, to play down low with a guy like Luca Garza, but he still finds a way to get it done. Kind of like a Quincy Gary, he finds ways to score, shooting over 50% from the field or right around 50%. So they kind of have it all. They got the guards, they got the forwards, they got experience. Um, And I feel like the past seasons with Ohio State, they've started out hot and kind of fizzled. And now maybe this just ensuing pickup from Cal, maybe this is the big difference. Might be the big difference. Certainly the Big Ten, too, has a lot of, lot of quality opponents. Who are you guys seeing? Obviously, Lucas, you touched on it. You like Iowa. You like Michigan and Ohio State. 
And I tend to agree with you. I'm maybe not going to put Iowa in there, and I'll swap them out for Illinois with teams that I think could really make some noise from this conference come March. Uh, who are maybe some of the frauds that you guys are seeing as ranked teams? Frauds? I mean, Rutgers, they're ranked right now 25. We love them coming into the season, but I don't think they have what it takes to, to be down low with some of these teams in the Big Ten. I think a lot of Big Ten games for Rutgers are just mismatches for them. I think Rutgers is a great team, but in a Big Ten conference, there's a lot of teams that have solid. Where their best player on their team is their big men, and that's really not the case for Rutgers, and they have undersized big men, so I think I wouldn't say Rutgers is a fraud. I think they're going to struggle in the Big Ten, but watch out. Come, uh, I think there may be a sleeper team out of the Big Ten. As far as frauds, though, Wisconsin's a team that I'm not sold on yet. Um, Iowa's defensive struggles really, really scare me, and I thought I would never say that about this Iowa team. And I'm honestly starting to believe in Ohio State, so I can't say them a fraud anymore. Um, I like Ohio State, Illinois, Michigan as the top three where they stand right now. Yeah, my answer was going to be the one that frustrates me the most gambling-wise, and I would probably say Wisconsin. Uh, you know, can never understand what kind of team is going to show up on a particular day. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, they all just beat up on each other. Like, it's, you know, like we could just be talking about next week how, you know, Ohio State went from 5 to 20 because they just lost a couple <laughs> games in a row. I will say the Big Ten has actually probably perfected the formula the best out of any of the conferences in terms of games-wise. I mean, I feel like they play every single day – I felt like Iowa played like four times last week, and I saw every Iowa's played like so many games and uh, gotten a lot of a lot of chances to see them play, uh, yeah. which is going to be useful come tournament time, just when the bracket comes out. So it's all about the board, you know. Who knows what's going to happen? And if they if one team has a particularly clear path, whether it's Illinois, Iowa, uh, Michigan, or Ohio State, like well, I'll I'll take that road there for sure. Any frauds for you, Poppy? Um, you know, I really am not too high on that Wisconsin team as well. I can't figure them out either. And as a result, I'm not going to be having them going too far come March. I'm coming around on Ohio State. I really am. Iowa, their defense, we mentioned it, it really does scare me. I could see them winning a couple games in the tournament, but I don't, I don't really think they're, they have what it takes to make a deep, deep run. All that being said, Purdue is a very intriguing team, in my opinion, out of this conference. You know, they're eight and one at home but they've beaten Ohio State twice, who's maybe the best team in the conference. That's interesting. Yeah, so they've, they've had some real success at times this year. Uh, they also rely on a lot of big men, but, you know, we'll see how they fare uh, come tournament time. I think Purdue is kind of a sleeper team that not a lot of be people have talked about in the Big Ten this year that is towards the top of the league. We covered, we covered a lot of this conference. One team no one touched on was Indiana, who's kind of coming around, winners of their last two, three of their last four. Um, Trace Jackson Davis is a star over there. I saw him play, um, I believe, I forget what game I watched. Illinois. But, yeah, the Illinois game, yeah. And uh, he, he's, he's definitely a baller down there. Indiana's another maybe sleeper team out of this conference. Very, very deep conference. Um, but, again, it's so hard to tell because the only games we're really seeing them against are against each other, and it's an interesting year. But moving over to the other probably deepest conference in college basketball, the Big 12. They definitely have a lot of great teams up near the top, a lot of heavy, hit, a lot of heavy hitters. And we'll start off with the West Virginia Mountaineers, probably our favorite team on this podcast because of their coach, Bob Huggins. Uh, we just love him over there on the sidelines, his look. Just a great grinded-out coach, and they really haven't need to, needed to grind out wins because these last two games since our last pod, they won by 12 against Kansas. And then really surprised everybody, beating Texas Tech by 11 on the road in a game they controlled all the way. After that game, Poppy, you had some interesting words in our group text. You liked West Virginia going to the Final Four, maybe. I did throw a little future down on the Mountaineers hitting the Final Four. Uh, just so much confidence in Bob Huggins, really, when it comes down to it. I love Huggy Bear on the sideline. I think he's a great players coach and can adapt to the kind of team that uh, he's got for that season. But, yeah, West Virginia, really impressive week for them. Uh, Deuce McBride, you know, Miles McBride, we kind of gassed him up on this podcast, and he's really backing it up. Whenever they needed a bucket against Texas Tech, he had the ball against Mac McClung or whoever was guarding him, um, and he was getting to the basket or getting to the mid-range. He was hitting a lot of mid-range jumpers. He's a very impressive player. And something that we're going to have to talk about with this West Virginia team, too, is, you know, they lost Oscar Sheebway, and they're a little thin in the front court, but their back court depth is still very 
very good. They were without Taz Sherman, who's one of their better players in that Texas Tech game. And Sean McNeil, a guy who was coming off the bench, stepped up and had 25 for them uh, in a huge performance over Texas Tech. So really great road win for them. And they got a lot of depth at guard specifically. So they're a team that I really like come March. I don't know if West Virginia is the most talented team in this conference. Obviously, Baylor is the class of the conference. But Bob Huggins, the West Virginia team, they're a team that's not going to fall victim to the upset, in my opinion. I think a lot of it sometimes comes down to the mentality of the favorite team. If they come in maybe a little overconfident, I feel like that's not a West Virginia Bob Huggins coach. So I really like them come March. And these last two wins, what can you say? They haven't lost in the Big 12 since over a month ago. January 9th was their last loss in the Big 12. They had a few games postponed, and their one loss in between them came against Florida in that Big 12 SEC challenge. West Virginia-Texas Tech game, Lucas. Were you surprised by the outcome? How good is this West Virginia team? We just gave a moment of silence for Chris Beard, who uh, had a pretty uh, interesting storm off the court. Uh, you know, in frustration, I mean, he had the dap up Bob Huggins at the end, and I think it was just, you know, outclassed, outplayed, outhustled. You know, <laughs> Bob Huggins just got the upper hand of a very good rising coach in the Big 12 and in college basketball and Chris Beard. Uh, so, you know, frustrated the hell out of Mac McClung. You know, they have depth. In that, in that guard, and for the guards, which is where, you know, most of the success happens from in the tournament. Uh, you know, I need to see them play Baylor again. I want to see if they can adjust. I think they did play already, or they haven't played yet. No, uh, they're back-to-back, yeah. back, but it looks like it might be postponed. Baylor has COVID. Yeah. yeah. So another great – Baylor, all these great games are supposed to play back-to-back back against West Virginia, going to play against Gonzaga. They're all getting canceled. Could, they, could it be a smart thing for them just to, like, you know, hide away from the pressures and be like, oh, yeah, COVID, we got No, it. they definitely want to test them against the best, uh, the best teams in the country. So, I mean, back to West Virginia, just a very, you know, very good team. Bob Huggins, we trust in them. Uh, you know, we, there's so many good storylines across all Big 12 teams. You know, Texas with Chaka, you know, West Virginia with Bob Huggins. Then you got Bill Self at Kansas, Texas Tech. You got Chris Beard and Mac McClung. And then you have the uh, – the highest class of them all in Baylor. So, you know, there's so many good storylines across all of them. But, uh, I can see them all doing being very successful in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. West Virginia, I also think they have a little chip on their shoulder from losing Oscar Shibway. Just kind of want to stick it to him, go out there and just go on a run. I mean, who knows why Shibway really left the team. I'm not too sure on the backstory there. But um, it would be nice for West Virginia to make a run after losing one of their best players. And one team that's really struggling in the Big 12 since our last podcast is a team that we gassed up in the beginning of the season, at least I did, thought they could compete with Baylor. And uh, since they lost to Baylor, they pretty much went on a downspin. They were out their coach for a little bit. They've lost four of their last six games, but all of them were to good teams. But really, those are the only teams you're facing in the Big 12. They've lost to Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. A lot of guard depth, which we like. Uh, pot, or I'll go to Lucas on this one. Is this just Shaka being out, a little COVID scare, or are we really worried about this Texas squad moving forward? It's a good question. I mean, we were just talking again how they were a top five, top five team in the, in the country. Uh, and I think it's just the wear and tear, and I think Andrew Jones is, you know, can only do so much for them. They also have some good bigs, uh, and they just need to you know, lock in better defensively. Shaka Smart is a defensive-minded coach. I think he needs to just get them in order a little bit, really. Poppy? I think the COVID issue with Shaka Smart, I mean, I don't think that helped them by any means. Uh, that certainly is an issue when you're playing other top 25 teams, something to watch out for as they uh, progress throughout the season. But I'm a little concerned about Texas. I think they just rely on the three a bit too much, and I'm not sure how good of a three-point shooting team deep down they are. They really should have won that Oklahoma State game. Somehow, I I bet Oklahoma State live to cover a number when Texas was looking terrible. And then Oklahoma State started looking terrible, and Texas couldn't take advantage at all. They shot fit five of 35 from three as a team in that game, and they are overtime loss to the Cowboys. And that's just not going to get it done. You know, I mentioned the turnovers, too, uh, for their backcourt over the, that stretch of three games. It was around 50, which is way too high. Um, and I think, you know, they need to prioritize getting the ball to their bigs. You mentioned it, Lucas. They have some solid big men, Kai Jones, especially Jericho Sims. Jericho Sims is a pogo stick on the block, crazy <laughs> athletic at 6'11". He'll dunk on anybody. And he's, you know, his, his scoring numbers have been going up recently, uh, but not to the level that they should be. I think that they actually have something down there. 
rather than chucking up threes that are contested, they need to look to get the ball inside a little more, and hopefully that will bring some success. I think Shaka will figure it out. I'm personally not worried about this Texas team. I have seen the good and the bad. The Kansas game, they shot lights out in Kansas, and I was sold on them. Uh, maybe I fell victim to the hot three-point shooting night because against Oklahoma State, it was atrocious out there. And Andrew Jones has been balling out, but uh, Courtney Ramey and Matt Coleman need to step it up a little bit. Ramey's a junior. Coleman's a senior. They've been around. And against the Oklahoma State game, they both played – in the Oklahoma State game, excuse me, they both played terrible. Ramey shot 13% from the field in the game. Uh, that you're not going to get it done playing 44 minutes, shooting 13% from the field, and you're, he's one of your leading scorers, or supposed to be. But, yeah, maybe they should start looking down low. I think that could be um, a very useful tool, get away from the three-point shooting, because you mentioned Sims, but Kai Jones is the NBA prospect. I mean, Kai Jones is on draft boards. I love Sims, but for some reason, the NBA prospects think Kai Jones might be a little bit better, which more the merrier, you know what I mean? At least try and get it down there. They shoot a little too many threes. I think you are right, Pop, but I'm not worried about Texas. Little bounce back, shock smart, recovering off the COVID. They'll be good. Big 12, speaking of that, Texas might be your fraud. I guess, who are your elite teams, or do you have another fraud that you want to mention, Poppy? Um, you know, the elite teams for me, really, when it comes down to it, it's Baylor, it's West Virginia, and I'm not going to call them elite yet, but I really like Texas Tech still. I just think that they have uh, a great coach in Chris Beard, and I think their roster is a little more complete top to bottom than Texas you know, I like this Texas team, but I just – I don't think they're frauds, but I'm just not sure what to think of them now after this little struggle that they've gone through. You know, we mentioned they're playing some quality teams, but it's just uh, – it was a little concerning. That Oklahoma State game, I was not impressed with them at all. They, I thought they would find a way to win. A good team, in my opinion, would have found a way to win that game, and they couldn't just pull it off, unfortunately. But really like Baylor, really like West Virginia and Texas Tech – isn't there yet, but I think they could be very soon. I would even cut it off at Tex or uh, Baylor and West Virginia, and just call it those two. I think those are the two premier. Uh, you know, there's too much there's too much muddling going on between Texas Tech, Texas, and Oklahoma State, and all the other teams. I think you just cut it off Baylor and and uh, West Virginia is a little bit under that, but that's still there. Those are the two elite teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Baylor's in a class of its own. If I had to put a team near there, I thought it would have been Texas, but. West Virginia, they, they seem like the more consistent team, so I guess I would stick with them. We haven't mentioned Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's very good as well. Do not sleep on this Oklahoma team. Uh, they got a couple experienced guys over there. Their point guard, Reeves, can really do everything uh, for the Sooner squad. Kansas, I guess, is my fraud. I think we could see them going out early, which would be a shock to teams. And honestly, I love Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech, on paper, when you watch them play, their flow of the offense is beautiful. They have the names, the stats to back it up. But I feel like they are just always in close games. Whether they win or lose against these top mid-range opponents, it always seems to come down to the wire. And in the tournament, I feel like that's going to bite you and could bite you in an early round, although I do like Texas Tech. But I'm not sold on them. Um, But they they do have the talent, and Chris Beard knows how to get it done. Chris Beard knows how to get it done. I really like that Oklahoma team, too. I almost forgot about them. Uh, They're one to watch as we approach March. I think they're, you know, they're only getting better. This is a team that's really turned it on. They lost by 22 in the beginning of the season to Xavier, and they just keep getting better and better with Reeves. Uh, Davion Harmon can really stroke it from three. Uh, So, yeah, I think that Oklahoma is a team to watch out for. But you're probably right, Lucas. When it comes down to it, we should probably focus on Baylor and West Virginia. Yeah. Over to our player of the week. Last week we had a – pair of brothers as our player of the week this week we're just sticking to one guy over in a conference we don't talk about too often but it's lucas's uh bread and butter the pac 12 and usc freshman center evan mobley is this week's cali decuse player of the week we like to highlight some guys that uh maybe have some potential in the nba maybe not but maybe they've just been cooking in college basketball and evan mobley is definitely that guy as a freshman 16 points a game nine rebounds three blocks poppy is he the next rudy gobert rim protector that we're about to see in the nba i think you can shoot it a little better than rudy but (laughs) i'm not sure if he is the next elite nba rim protector three blocks a game is pretty impressive though seven foot 210 he's got to put some muscle on but uh you know lucas you're a west coast guy What, what do you know about mr mobley here 
Yeah, this guy, he's been committed to the University of Spoiled Children for a couple of years now, and that could have been planted a little bit just because uh, his brother, Isaiah Mo- Mobley, is a sophomore there, and also one of the coach assistant coaches is a family member. I might say even his dad, if I had to take a guess. So uh, the ties uh, for USC to bring in an, an elite talent that uh, won multiple uh, state championships in, in uh, California, um, you know, challenge a lot of those really top-notch schools and actually I think he went a year early uh producing great I mean one of the craziest games that I saw that he did was against Utah and he played 31 minutes they won by 18 and he didn't attempt a field goal he had three points and they win by 18 uh and I think he had three points five rebounds and three blocks you can say that he was not a factor but he didn't even attempt a field goal and they won by 18 speaks (laughs) to what he can do on the court defensively uh, and, you know, a really, really great prospect. Maybe like a little DeAndre Ayton type of vibe. Ooh. Yeah, he's a top five pick uh, projected by a lot, lot of scouting, a lot of scouts going into the NBA draft. Obviously a one-and-done player, Poppy. And are you going to throw out any comparisons? I like the Ayton comparison. I could maybe – I'm getting a little Miles Turner vibes. You know, maybe he could uh, end up becoming a little better version of Miles Turner. He hasn't really shot a lot of threes yet so far, but he is 7 of 23, which is about 30%. So he, he definitely has the ability to make them. And, you know, the big number for me is that 72% from the free throw line. Uh, he's gotten there a lot. He has 102 attempts on the season, so that's a good sample size. And clearly, um, you know, that's big for the next level. If you're a big man, you're going to get fouled a lot. you got to be able to knock down your free throws. So he'll certainly be a huge asset for a lot of teams in the NBA. Yeah, I like both of those comparisons. He obviously has the modern game, able to step out and hit the three a little bit, and that's only going to get better as time goes on. I think whoever, whatever team gets him in the NBA is going to be pretty happy. Moving over to big games coming up this weekend, big slate of games on Saturday. Check out our Twitter at Kelly DeCuse. I promise we'll have some picks. We missed out the last couple weeks, but this Saturday we'll have our official picks with the lines. We have a winning record in college basketball, 29-26, and 26, slightly over 500. We'll look to improve on that on Saturday. But here are some big games that we'll be looking at. They don't have the lines out on any of the games yet for Saturday, so look out on our Twitter for those picks. Let's talk about some of the big games on Saturday. First at noon, the Missouri Valley Conference game of the year or games of the year because they're playing on a back-to-back Saturday-Sunday swing. But it's number 22, Loyola Chicago versus Drake, the cover Kings. They seem to cover their 19-1 almost every single week. Who you got, Lucas? I'm going to have to go with Drake on this one. I mean, Loyola Chicago just became ranked. I think they may be uh, due for a letdown here. I mean, Drake has been uh, – it's at Drake as well, so that definitely is a factor. Um, and I think Drake is here to stay. I think they, they lock in a really solid win to secure their spot, uh, regardless if they win their conference tournament or not, uh, and beating a really quality team like Loyola Chicago. Yeah, they, Drake actually might get – well, they're definitely going to get 20 wins on their record, which not many teams are going to be able to say at the end of the year, Poppy. Not a lot of teams are going to be able to say that. Uh, but Drake is not able to say that they have made a long, deep run in the NCAA tournament recently, which Loyola Chicago has. And they still have a couple players left over from that run, namely Cameron Krutwig. Uh, this is obviously the sister gene run from a couple years ago with Loyola Chicago. You forget. I can't believe yeah. there's still players there. Yeah, Cameron Krutwig is the, uh, the name guy who's still there. Uh, averaging 16 a game on 61% shooting on the season. So he's very, very good option down low. He's yet to make a three. So clearly a bruiser. But Drake, uh, you know, I, I've considered betting them recently just because I know they've been covering. I was monitoring. They also played Valpo and back-to-backs. I think this is one of the conferences that's doing back-to-backs always. Um, and they played Valpo in a back-to-back and should have lost the first game against them and then they did lose the second game and it really wasn't particularly close uh for a lot of that game so I have a little concerned about Drake going forward so I'll take the Ramblers in this one the fighting sister jeans every time I see a back-to-back I've come to just know that they're gonna split it's a matter of who wins what game so I try and avoid betting these back-to-backs that being said though I agree with you Poppy because I thought about betting Drake a few times and not only was the Valparaiso series close but the Illinois State Series, uh, the two games they played against them, one of them went into overtime, and Drake was fighting from behind in that one. So I think Drake is falling apart a little bit. That being said, I still expect a split because that's how they always go. 
but I'll take uh, Loyola Chicago on Saturday, I guess. Why not? Um, then at 1 p.m. on Saturday, Oklahoma at West Virginia, Big 12 smackaroo of a game. You're going to want to tune into this one. Great guard play. Who you got? This is a good game here. Uh, it is a damn shame that it's on ESPN+. Plus. I'm sorry for all of those who do not have ESPN+. Plus. That's ridiculous. This is the best game of the weekend, probably. Um, that being said, great guard matchup. Austin Reeves against Miles McBride. Really, I think whoever gets the better of that matchup is probably going to end up winning the game. I just think McBride's a little bit more of a complete player. I'm riding with my Mountaineers. Country roads, take me home to the Final Four, please. <laughs> you said it, take me home. Mountaineers are at home, and I will uh, ride with Bob Huggins and crew. We're all on the Mountaineers. Let's yes. all go home. <laughs> and then at 5 o'clock on Saturday, Big East showdown. Definitely the two powerhouses in the Big East. Villanova coming off a loss. I think they had a game in between, but recently lost to St. John's. They're going to be on the road against number 19, Creighton. Creighton's been slipping a little bit. Now five losses on the season. This one, though, I think Creighton is going to pull off the upset. I think Villanova is going to get smacked in the mouth a little bit. I'm honestly expecting a Creighton blowout. I don't know why. I just feel it coming. I feel like Villanova lost to St. John's. There's maybe a book out on how to beat them. I don't know what Creighton's going to pick up from that St. John's game, but I just got a funny feeling Villanova's going to go down this weekend. Maybe anticipate a little slugfest here in terms of defense. Maybe peep that under whenever that line comes out. <clears throat> it might be tempting to take. I mean, if you, if you really think uh, uh, Creighton's going to blow them out. Maybe, maybe. I, I don't know, because these teams like to shoot the three, though. So I could see them maybe getting hot. I just think Creighton's going to shoot the three lights out. I think they need a statement win, and they're going to be way more hyped for this game than Villanova will be. This is definitely Creighton's game of the year. Uh, it's, you know, it's their biggest game. If they're going to win one, this is it. This is the one to win. So I like Creighton in this one, ultimately. I think the line's going to be somewhere like, uh, you know, Villanova minus three and a half, probably something in that range. I would consider taking Creighton with the points. Lucas, your thoughts on the game? Uh, I would probably lean Villanova, honestly. I think that they need to win more than, you know, Creighton. They just lost to St. John's. Are they that perimeter of a team? Do they need, like, a really good win to really get their feet back uh, under them? Uh, so I, I like find that one seed. Yeah. This, this would be big on getting that one seed. Um, but moving over, thanks for sticking with us. Before we let you go, we got our one last thing. No bets this week because there's no football this week. Um, but we will come up with some more betting for you as the shows move on here each week. But we still have our one last thing. I'm going to hand the mic over to Poppy Carey because lacrosse is almost back to Syracuse. Lacrosse is back. Not yet back to Syracuse, but that, that'll be soon enough. But it is back. Uh, you know, lacrosse is a, it's a great sport. Um, exciting up and down kind of game, kind of like a little, little soccer hockey hybrid, I guess you could maybe call it, but it's really great action. You know, the ACC is the creme de la creme when it comes to uh, college lacrosse, especially this year. Unfortunately, the Ivy League is not playing. So essentially what we saw is a mass exodus of all the best players in the Ivy League looking to transfer out uh, because they all suspected that they were not going to have a season. So a lot of those guys have joined uh, ACC teams, Big Ten teams. Denver is a powerhouse in lacrosse. Some of them went there. Uh, three, three of Yale's best players ended up on Denver. And then it brings me to the biggest issue that I have with college lacrosse is Michael Sowers, the best player in the game, uh, joining the Duke Blue Devils, who arguably already had the best uh, roster in the game. And now they bring in the best offensive player, a guy who scored over 300 points at Princeton. You know, I'm biased here. I get it. I'm a Syracuse fan. Uh, last year, Syracuse got robbed of a national championship from COVID. They were going to do it. They are going to bring uh, it to hack. It was, guaranteed. it was guaranteed. Yep. And this year, now, they got to compete against all these teams uh, that brought in these transfers. Well, you can say, Poppy, why didn't Syracuse go out and bring in these transfers? <laughs> but all that being said, Syracuse returned all of their seniors except for two from last year's team. They all came back. So, really, you can't have – a ton of guys on scholarship in lacrosse. It's a low-budget sport. So with finances, they weren't able to go out there and offer these kids scholarships. So unfortunately, they're a little bit behind the eight ball, but they bring every ba everybody back from a team that I thought would have won the national championship. Uh, Cuse opens up against Army. 
on the 21st of February, if you're interested in that one. A lot of great action on ACC Network, though. Carolina's a great team. Virginia's a great team. Duke's a great team. Uh, Notre Dame, I believe the lowest-ranked team in the ACC is at eight right now. So it's going to be a bloodbath in that conference. It sounds like it's going to be the super team here in the cross. Kind of, yeah. That's a good way to put it. I mean, if we know Syracuse lacrosse, they come up big. Pop, find me a line. Let's bang Syracuse Natty title. I, w- I wish I could. Some wax Vegas. You can bet on lacrosse in Vegas, but unfortunately you can't bet on it. Uh, it's only the one select book, I believe, offers lacrosse lines out there. So, Lax Vegas, you just called it? Lax lines, yeah. Lax Vegas. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, you avoided Duke. Uh, ruining your basketball season, but they're going to be right there for the that's problem. what I'm. That's what I'm worried about. Yep. Shout <laughs> I, out to the Bombers too. Obviously, all three of us huge Ithaca College lacrosse fans. Hopefully, the D three schools will be able to uh, participate. You know, with COVID and everything, it's just unfortunate. You know, remember when we tried pushing for Ithaca to get lacrosse as a D one sport? We were close, man. We were close. <laughs> yeah, that that doesn't happen anytime soon. I mean, <laughs> it's just crazy to be there when they were number one in the country. That was bad. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fun time. Honestly, going to those games, we kind of did uh, pack the Higgins Stadium over there at Ithaca. But speaking of Ithaca, Cornell, great lacrosse program. They had one of the best players in the country. It was Jeff T. Is he one of those guys that transferred? Correct. So Teat hasn't announced the school yet. You know, he has the option, I believe, to still transfer somewhere. But a lot of people are expecting that he might just get ready for a successful indoor lacrosse career in Canada. He's Canadian. But, yeah, I mean, Cornell, they were not just Jeff T. They have a great offense, tons of talent on that team, and they're all losing out on, you know, a potential year to win a national championship. I mean, they'll get their eligibility back, but still it's very frustrating for these kids, you know, who work hard and want to compete at the highest level. Yeah. Honestly, if you haven't watched lacrosse, please tune in this year. It's a great sport. Um, in Syracuse, we kind of grow up with it, but it's growing across. What do they say? It's the fastest growing sport in America. Yeah, right? That is what they say. <laughs> but yeah, definitely uh, tune in to some lacrosse. If you haven't seen highlights, Poppy, who should they be watching if you want to see some crazy highlights? The uh, I mean, there's too many guys. Yeah, Mikey Powell, namely. Watch some Mikey Powell highlights, some Lyle Thompson highlights from Albany. Michael Sowers, I already mentioned him, but. You, yeah, some of those Q's teams, 08, 09, classic highlight tapes on YouTube. Definitely. I'm excited for some lacrosse season. Um, but thanks for sticking with us on Kelly to Q's Up in the Rafters. New episodes every Friday. You can catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the challenge-sports.com. Also follow us on Twitter, at Kelly to Q's. For Lucas, Poppy, I'm Anthony Scott. Have a good one, guys. Peace.